Hi, I'm Ben Richardson, and you're listening to the Karate Podcast, where we talk about karate, the competitive sport of Kumite, and the warrior's journey. Brought to you in association with Kumite Coach, the world's first progressive online high-definition coaching platform, created by coaches and fighters for coaches, fighters, and students of karate. Join KumiteCoach.com today and take your karate to the next level. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Karate Podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled today to have with us one of my inspirations in martial arts, Rick Young. Um, He's been in martial arts for over 46 years. He holds a second degree black belt in karate. He's a black belt in judo. He's also a fourth degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a full instructor in combat submission wrestling under Eric Paulson. He holds multiple instructorships in Jeet Kune Do. He is also one of the few senior full instructors under Guru Inosanto in Jeet Kune Do and the Filipino martial arts, and also holds instructorships in the Majapayit arts. So Guru Rick, thanks so much for joining us today. It's absolutely fantastic to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Thanks. It's my pleasure. Um, could we start, would you be able to tell us the most important events or experiences that led you into becoming a martial artist? Yeah, I, I um, and again, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, the, the, I, I had a friend called Sean Shanley um, when I was young um, and Sean was training um, at the Edinburgh Club, which is a uh, which was uh, one of the, it's one, I think next to the Budokai in London was the first full-time judo club that opened up in in uh, in, in, in Britain, um, and the Edinburgh Club was a very well-known judo club. Um, George Kerr, Sensei George Kerr, was was there. He was um, teaching, and he he was one of the first people to go to Japan. And um, he went, I think, in nineteen fifty-seven or fifty-six in a boat to Japan. Uh, to Japan, you know. Um, uh, so he's now a 10th degree in, in judo, 10th degree red belt in judo. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then there was a, a man called Jimmy Delaney, Sensei Jimmy Delaney, who unfortunately passed away about two or three years ago. And he uh, he was teaching uh, there. And uh, Sensei Delaney was more of a thrower, an amazing thrower, amazing martial artist. So he, he was teaching there. And then Morris Allen, Sensei Morris Allen, is now in America. He's a 7th degree now. Or eighth degree, maybe in judo, um, and and a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And he really focused on the ground, the groundwork. He was a wrestler. He was the first. Uh, he went to uh, in Russia in 1975 and won the, uh, the World Sambo Championships. They called it Sambo at the time. Uh, the World Sambo Championships, uh, wow. open weight. And he'd only ever entered two Sambo Championships in his life. One was the Europeans, which he got a silver against an Olympic gold medalist in judo and a world champion in sambo because he never under, really understood what was going on so he got a silver there the next one he went to russia in 75 and then uh, and, he, and he won the, he won the world championships which is unbelievable really i mean for people for us now we already you're old school ben you've been around a long time and uh, but back then in 75 they traveled behind the iron curtain to go to russia to go there and, and win unbelievable so sean was training with these people also there was uh, 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 there was karate at the at the Edinburgh Club. Uh, a man called John De Placido um, was running, and Mullen De Placido, his brother, they were running the karate side of things. 
um, there. Um, uh, they, uh, they were teaching Wado, Wado Roo, um, if I remember correctly, um, at the Edinburgh Club. And they were really old school, um, and uh, really old school uh, karate guys. I mean, real tough, you know. Yeah. You know, knock them down, and and, and if you, you couldn't handle the session, you know, then you, you were out. So they 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 handled the, the the karate side of it. It was primarily a, more a judo oriented place, but because George had a, a black belt in karate himself, black belt in aikido, and a black belt in kendo, uh, which you got in Japan, um, yeah. he. Um, he, he really wanted to get the karate in there too. So uh, that's where Sean came from. So when I was introduced to Sean, I was in, immediately introduced uh, to the judo side and the karate side. Right. Um, and he was also doing some boxing as well. Um, so from the beginning, we were cross-training. That was my introduction to martial arts. So, and obviously the Bruce Lee movies, of course, you know, um, but with Sean, um, the idea was to always become a complete all-round fighter, a, a, a complete fighter, and um, and that was that was the general idea. So Sean was my introduction, um, and he really paved the way for me. More uh, technically, yes, absolutely. There's still some things technically I do from him, but more mentally as well. That came the indomitable spirit, not yeah. giving up, keeping going. You know, um, gaining strength through effort. You know, all of those things, you know, were really, really important to him. And, um, you know, the, the hard training, the, you know, I was telling my son the other day there, you know, when, when I was like 13, I was doing 750 to 1,000 press-ups a night, you know, so that, that yeah. And I was doing them in sets of 10 and 15, so it would take about three, four hours to do them. <laughs> I would do them, and I would just keep ticking them off on the paper, you know. Yeah. Same for setups, you know. Um, you know, you'd be doing like, you know, I remember doing like before I went to see Dan and the Sandal, three and a half thousand setups, uh, and and before I went to see him. So, so things like that, which were kind of crazy for a young kid, but at the time it was normal. And I think what Sean was doing was hearing these stories about what the training was like in Japan, because George had come back from Japan where the training was exceptionally brutal and um, uh, really tough, especially for a foreigner at that time going to the Kodokan. He met Don Drager, one of my heroes, Don Drager. Yeah. And uh, and and I think he brought back with them. And then and also all of these guys like uh, Sensi Kerr, Sensi Jimmy Delaney, and Morris Allen, they were all pretty much in their primes. So you've got three really hardcore guys who trained like real beasts. Yeah. And they, um, they really brought that into Sean, who then kind of passed it down to me. Sean was only a year older than me, but he was like uh, really physically ahead of the game, you know. Yeah. One thumb press-ups, you know, one thumb, you know, wow. one hand, one thumb press-up, yeah. Two, two finger press-up, two thumbs. You know, I could always do the two thumbs, I could do the two fingers, but I could never do the one thumb anyway. But he could, <laughs> he could do that. So he, he really believed in hard, hard training. Which again, I think stem back from the training that all all of his instructors had gone through. Morris and Mullen de Placido and John de Placido. I don't think I'd been to Japan, but but they had trained. Uh, they were training extremely hard. I remember watching them spar and thinking, "Man, this is absolutely brutal." Trying mm. to knock each other out, you know. So yeah. That was my start. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And was it as as a a teenager then? Was it a teenager? Um, was it just the general interest in martial arts that, that drew you to it? Well, I had 
Well, I had my first, I, I think I, 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 my first actual introduction was, I remember seeing the poster for Enter the Dragon. So a lot of guys like my age, you know, who, and, and that was like when Enter Bruce Lee had died and Enter the Dragon had come out. And that must have been about 73, so I must have been about yeah. Yeah. So um, that was really, and I remember seeing Bruce Lee with the nunchucks. And again, now, because there's so much information around, it's so easy to click and get this and get that. You could watch Enter the Dragon on YouTube or something. Yeah. You could get it online easily. It was such a new thing. It was a total culture shock, you know, to see this guy, you know, be doing that with the abs and you know, all that stuff. And amazing, you know, and then a friend of mine had a Bruce Tegner book, and um, and Bruce Tegner was one of the first cross trainers in the States, you know, and I don't know if many people know about him, but he was, he's really well worth looking up. So my friend had a Bruce Tegner book, and it was full of jiu-jitsu tricks, you know, grab the hand, get out the wrist lock, get out the arm lock, how to attack, how to sort of Gary, you know, if the guy does that, shakes your hand, how to do a wrist lock when you shake your hand. And I never thought about them, but I thought, well, why would you want to shake, shake somebody's hand and then wrist lock them? But, <laughs> and the funny thing was, we were talking about Guru Dan, Guru Dan and Sano, that Guru Dan, I was talking to Guru Dan in one of his seminars and uh, when he came to Edinburgh, and we were just going for a meal. He just arrived and we were talking. And, and I mentioned that story to him about Bruce Tegner. And yeah. he said to me, he goes, you know, you know, I'm a black belt under Bruce Tegner. <laughs> no, I said no. I said you're joking, right? And he goes, no. He goes, Rick, I'm a black belt under Bruce Tegner. He he trained, he trained with uh, Nishiyama from the JKA. Oh wow! He was a black belt. No, he was black belt Shogun. <laughs> Did he? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And he was running concurrently with. Uh, he was training concurrently with um, Bruce Tegner in Hollywood. You know. So, and, you know, the interesting thing that was, you know, he was talking about, and he was saying, he said, the funny thing is it was Bruce Tegner was the first person who played music in classes. Always, nobody else did that. Yes. Yeah. that and started playing music in his classes. So that's where Bruce Lee got the idea for playing music in his class from Bruce Tegner, which is like, wow, you know? And I just said, that's the craziest thing. And because we, we were talking about GKA and, I thought, well, if Gurdan got his black belt, I think it was 61. I may be getting that slightly wrong, so, but, but I think it must have been about 61, 62 from Nishiyama. Yeah. Or, or Nishiyama came to grade out then. I'm not sure if he was actually there, but I know he met Nishiyama. So, uh, Sensei Nishiyama. So then he, he, he we'd hear, if Gurdan had stuck with Shokan at that time and just gone through his whole career going to Shokan, he would be one of the, you know, leading lights to show kind of, I'm assuming, you know, and, 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 yeah. and you know, so it's amazing how you kind of hear about somebody's past and like Guru Dan, you know, being with Bruce Tegner, but Bruce Tegner was the first one. So that was my first introduction to martial arts with Bruce Tegner, uh, came my friend's book, seeing Bruce Lee, and then I'd heard about Sean and, and I seen Sean coming home every Saturday, not every Saturday, but I seen him come home a couple of times with his bag over, you've been up in the judo. You know, they always look kind of banged up, you know, even yeah. for a kid. So yeah. that was that that was how I got kind of into it. Yeah. Fantastic. That's a great story. Thank you. Um, so looking back, was there a point when you realized you were gonna fully commit yourself to being as good a martial artist as possible and and take it forward as a as a career? As a career, never. I never thought of it as a career. Mm -hmm. I, I, 
until much, much, much later. I never got to teach. It was mine to teach. To be honest with you, my my aim was to be a, 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 an unbeatable street fighter. Right. My aim was to be the best fighter that I could be. And that's born out of fear. I can look now and go sense security and fear, of course, because when you're a kid, I mean, I wasn't, it's not, I'm not going to go, hey, I grew up in the toughest neighborhood and it was the whatever. But it's, you know, where I came from, Leith, you know, um, a lot of tough guys and stuff. And and because I, I wasn't, um, I was actually playing a lot of football at the time. I was, um, a couple of teams looked at me to go pro. Um, I was only young, but, you know, they were kind of looking to scout out. It doesn't always come off because, you know, they scout hundreds of kids, but they were yeah. looking and they, they, they said, so So I was quite athletic, you know, and I was enthusiastic, I think, more than more than athletic. I was I really, anything I did, I would try and do properly. I'd done some cross-country running, you know, for the boys' brigade, stuff like that. Um, and um, But regarding the martial arts, my the idea for me was... As I say, Sean was instilling in, instilling in me that never give an attitude, always go through it. Mm-hmm. See, this before he would, Sean would stop, would be walking down the road. When we're kids, he's 15, I'm 14 now, something like that. He'd go, do 50 press ups. I'd go, we're walking up, uptown. I'd go, why? Because why not? And it's that always resonated with me. I'd go, why, why would I stop in the middle of the street? On a Saturday afternoon, and do fifty press-ups. So you go, why not? <laughs> Stop me. And it's that question that really burns on you. You know, you go, wow. Uh, and it, and and I went, well, because you know, we're in the middle. He goes, but he goes, how do you know when a fight's going to happen? He goes, you never know when it's going to come out. You've got to be ready. You've got to be mentally ready to be able to fight at any time, any time, when you're feeling terrible, when you're feeling good. Because most of us know, but from in my experience. Most of the time, if I've ever got an altercation, it's when I've—I never want to get an altercation, but it's when I've been feeling not so great. It's never when your biorhythms are up. You feel fantastic. You feel great, and something yeah. happens, and you have the right thing to say. And you can—is when you're not there. So he said, "Be prepared." He said, "So your strongest punch, your weakest punch, should still be enough to knock them out. Yeah, his kick should be enough to knock them out. So on a bad day, your bad day is going to be better than your best day. That was always the way that he." He um, put it forward to me. So the press-ups, the set-ups, the, uh, the running, you know, um, I mean, Sean went, to give an example, Sean went, uh, he, 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 it sounds absolutely crazy, but he, he was, um, he just started running one day and it's like Forrest Gump. He ran and he ran, I think it was about 18 to 20 miles. Now remember, this is a kid who's just, just come out of his house and he goes, I just thought, no, I'm going to keep running. So he ran to a place called Trenent, went around Trenent, went up the park and uh, his mother got a phone call. He was in an ambulance. <laughs> during a run. He ran till he collapsed. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, and that's the extreme. And remember, these are kids, but when we were kids, it wasn't like now we know about triathletes, we know about mm. running the, 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 you know, bad water or whatever, you know. Then it was like he just thought, no, I want to push myself to see how far I can push myself until how far can I go until I'm unconscious, you know, and things like that. So that's that's really what I was brought up with, mm. with that mentality of never giving up. He goes, would you give up? I went, no. He goes, you can say it now because you're sitting, because the end, you're sitting. And he said, you say that now. He goes, but what if you're under real pressure? So all of that stuff, even with the, the Jocko Willink stuff and all of that, 
that was stuff that Sean was exposing way back. And again, in a more primitive ma manner, mm. but the idea was still there. So that was my idea as a martial artist was to be the most functional fighter that I could be against as many opponents as I could be so that I wouldn't be beaten. The career in martial art never really occurred to me, to be honest with you. I never really thought about it as something that I could make money at or anything like that. I never, teaching wasn't something that I wanted. I've never been a natural teacher. Um, so uh, it wasn't really something that I really considered to be honest at all. That was that was even on the radar at that time. Yeah. And how, how did your goals change over time? Obviously you started out wanting to be the best street fighter, um, but I presume that was fairly fairly shortly lived. What was? Do you remember the, an evolution in your like goals as a martial artist? Well, I always wanted to be, you know, a great. Mar I mean, some people are, are are good at martial arts, but they're not necessarily. I mean, it sounds like a, a contradiction in terms, but they're, they're good at the technical side of martial arts, but maybe not the best fighter. There may be not people that would want beside me if it was kicking off. To yeah. Me. But they're technically very good. I mean, Hamish Adam and Wadaru, when I went to Wadaru, um, I, I loved training with Hamish. I mean, it was like, I was like, like it was a schoolboy's dream to train with someone like him because he was such an amazing um, teacher, such an amazing fighter. He also, did, he loved kata. So he was doing a lot of that. Um, and I, when I started training with Hamish in 19... October the 20th, 23rd, 1976. I remember the day that I trained with them. I got my Tokaido suit. Um, is it Tokaido or Tokaido? Yeah. I forget. Tokaido, yeah. Tokaido. Tokaido gi, and it cost £8.50. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you should have bought loads. Sorry? <laughs> you should have bought loads. You can make a fortune. I don't know how much that is. I feel like you just a fortune. My mum paid for it, right? And it, was yeah. a, it was a fortune. Um and um, it was 75 pence, I think, a week. It was 25 pence a session, something like that, right? So, yeah. uh, and Hamish was my hero. I loved Hamish. I loved doing the kata. And, and uh, I loved, you know, just being with him in his presence. And if I got to spar with Hamish, it was like the most unbelievable thing. And I remember, because I might be pronouncing this wrong, because Meiji Suzuki came and gave a demonstration at Middlebank and Hamish um, and I couldn't afford to go to the demonstration it was 50 pence or something I couldn't afford to go <laughs> I was training uh, I was training in the normal classes that night and they were doing a demonstration through the other thing it was a big martial art demo thing and um, and Hamish was there and Hamish came back after the demo but he had some bits of weed and stuff and then uh, and he, he he said to me try and break the bit of wood and I went and tried to break through it. And I went, oh, I can't do that. He went, no, no, you can do it. And I broke it. And, and it was so nice of um to help a kid like me. And Hamish, Hamish must have been about 29, 30, and I was about 14, 13, 14. So mm. it was just so nice that he would do that for me, you know. And that started to really encourage me to become a better martial artist as well as a better fighter, to become a more all-round martial artist. Um, and that, so he really influenced me a lot uh, in, the, in the Waddle, even though I, don't, I haven't done Waddle for almost 40 years. Um, he really influenced me a lot in the way that I, I, I approached my training, in the way that uh, I, um, you know, I, I, looked at, I looked at my training. So that was one aspect. Mm. Um, and I think it wasn't until probably 
I was in my thirties, if I'm being honest, before I really started to change my mind. Because I thought I've been training so long now. If I can't beat somebody in a fight now, then what the heck, you know? I mean, not yeah. that I'm unbeatable or anything. But I started to look at the art more. Maybe it's before then, but before I really got all my head, I think probably my thirties, something like that. Yeah. You know? before I really did that. And then I kind of continued it on and started competing in jiu-jitsu. I'd competed in boxing, you know. Uh, I, I, I competed a little bit in karate, actually, because we were in Carlisle. My, my wife and I were in Carlisle a couple weeks ago. And I was saying the last time I was in Carlisle was 1977. It was actually the day Elvis Presley died that I competed in a tournament and, okay. in, uh, in Carlisle. Right. But anyway, but it was, it was there. And then I got beat. I had two fights and I got beat because it was terrible at competition. And uh, but it was a great experience. Yeah. And we all went down in the bus. And then I competed in boxing. And I competed for Scotland twice in boxing. You know, I'd love fights. And and um, then obviously going to the, the judo, then the judo gradings, and then went to the jiu-jitsu. And and that was always a great way to test myself. And people have said to me, but that's not street fighting or it's not real fighting. I go, well, it feels real when you're you know you're in Brazil. Yeah, two thousand people screaming at you in a language you don't understand, and you're getting screamed at, and you're there on your own, you know. Or you got I've got Mauricio there with me, but it's like you know, I'm going, hey, actually, you, you know, you do tend to get a little bit of an adrenaline shot, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 go, I know it's not punching and kicking each other. I know it's not the octagon, but um, it, it certainly felt real to me. So probably about the my thirties, something like that, before mm. I really got the the whole street fighting thing on my system, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, could you tell us uh, when or how you decide to involve a new training partner or coach in your own development? I, I'm sorry, a new training partner or, or, you know, or coach in, in your martial arts development? Well, you know, I, I believe what Guru Dan says, you know, I think it's, you know, Guru Dan said something to you once. He said that he prays for coaches and people that come in his life. He prays for them. So he actively sits down and, and prays. And um, I know that would seem strange to a lot of people, but that kind of makes sense to me because I think there's times when you look back on your development and people come into your life and you just don't really realise how much of a huge difference they're going to make. And it might be just something that... It's like if you look at John Danaher, when John Danaher said that... Um, um, what's his name? Oh, it's going to come to him in a minute. It's... Uh, uh, American grappler, and he said to him, why would you ignore 50% of the body and not go for the legs? Now, that completely revolutionized the way that Dan Hur was thinking about attacks on the legs. Right? So that that one comment, uh, Dean Lister, it was. So when Dean Lister said that to Dan Hur, I mean, I don't think Dan has ever trained with Dean Lister, but that one comment has changed and revolutionized the way he, he, looked, he looked at his training. So I think there are some people that have come in and maybe just said one or two things, you've really changed the way you look at training. And then you've got other people who come in and they, um, like Guru Dan in my life, you know, really changed the way or really guided me in such a way. Because Guru, Guru means, you know, someone, and in the Filipino terminology, Guru means someone who takes you out of the darkness into the light. Is someone who basically holds your hand and pulls you into the light. And that's someone, so, so Guru has, Guru uh, and Asano has done that for me. Sifu Larry Harsel did that for me. Rick mm -hmm. Fee has, uh, uh, has done that for me. Sifu Paul Brunak did that for me all in different ways. 
obviously Guru Dan is the one who's, you know, been there as my father figure. So all of these people really helped me understand art in different ways, you know. The mm -hmm. see, Larry was still more about um, the fighting aspect, um, as well as the art, of course, so that's not the pigeon, it's just a fighter. Um, uh, uh, Paul Vunak was the same. Rick Fay tried to, has sh shown the, how, how to be able to train in each art in a safe manner so that everybody can train and how to develop your training methods. So he really helped me the way, the way that I teach and the way that uh, I, I um, the training method that I use and why I would use a certain training method. Mark Preston, who's my judo instructor, he really helped me um, understand about um, how to break down a technique. You know, yeah. um, Mauricio Gomez taught me how to teach jiu-jitsu. You know, when I look at him teach and, and taught me what true mastery of a position can be, you know, um, and then there's been, I'm trying to think, there's a lot, lot of other people, my, 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 my coaches, my boxing coaches, unfortunately, just passed away, Joe Fortune was one of them. He would teach me a certain way in boxing, but he would always say, but look at the way he does it, he does it different. Yeah. So he showed me that even within the context of the one, um, the one area, you're going to get people doing it differently. And he was saying, look, I do my hook this way, but look, he does it different. So it really helped me. So I think each one has come in and helped me in a different way. You know, uh, Danny Devlin, you taught me when Chun was from Wishaw. He was, Danny might be younger than me, um, but he really helped me understand when Chun, you know, from his, from his perspective. And he really helped me with the, because uh, in Wen Chun, as you know, as you know, uh, you know that you know, and Wen Chun and Chun Fan Kung Fu and Jeet Kune Do, generally most people don't go through the Wen Chun system. They go through, they go to the straight Chun Fan, which is Bruce Lee's variation on Wen Chun. But I, I yeah. do think it's good to go to Wen Chun and to learn the forms there, because a lot of people talk about the forms of the katas, and they've only got three forms in Wen Chun. But I really think to understand John Fan Kung Fu, at least get Si Lam Dao down. At least get, if you get Si Lam Dao, which means a uh, little idea, if you do Si Lam Dao in Wen Chun, you really do begin to understand how the art developed and all the principles of the art are within that one form. You can go to the, the Chi and the BOG, the second and third forms, but if you go within the first form, the kind of the secret is right in there. Everything's in that form. And I never understood it because it, it doesn't look like fighting. You look yeah. at it, it looks nothing like fighting. But the, the center line concept, the mother line concept, the concepts of grounding, the concepts of movement are actually within that form. And, and it's really, I think, and I'm talking if you have the time and inclination to go there. And, yeah. And I think it's it's a really good thing to do. So Danny taught me that. He taught me the form. And I didn't realize at the time how different that would be because the people that I've met with trap, we understand when Chan and have done the forms, trap differently from the people who haven't. It's kind of like skimming through a book. You skim through the book and you get the general idea of the book and you get the, you go, yeah, the LP, I understand there was a beginning, a middle, and end, and this happened, that happened, whatever. But actually reading the book, you know, and, and actually reading the book in detail and then going over the book again and going, ah, I missed this part because my understanding wasn't there. And I found that a lot in myself where I found that sometimes, like Jig Chung Choi, I never liked in the beginning. Yeah. And uh, until I realized, until, because I never understood it. I thought it was 60, 40 and I'd be going back. And then I understood it differently, and I went, man, this makes more sense to me. 
Now, yeah. if I apply it this way, it makes more sense. So it wasn't that art that was bad, it was my understanding of it. Absolutely. I really didn't really understand it. And I felt that Danny gave me that, you know, so, mm-hmm. so, so I'm going on, but the but a, a lot of my, all of my instructors, instructors, and again, when I'm taught, I've trained with a lot of different people. So when I train with someone on a seminar, I don't say, this person's my instructor. Because first of all, if they don't know my name, I don't really consider my instructor, you know, if they don't know, the, and, and, and I know their name, but they don't know mine, you know? So I think for me, I have certain people, the, the people I call instructors, I any mean, people I train with, or I've trained on seminars with, or I understand, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, that's a bit, the, my instructors have all given me something different to enhance my my understanding of what I'm, the, the route that I'm supposed to be going. Yeah, that, yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, okay, have, have you had any unexpected moments in training or competition that challenged your own understanding of how good you were at a certain martial art? Um, I think um, what I, what what I've tried to do is give myself goals in each individual thing. So yeah. and, and like in boxing, you know, when I was boxing, um, I was training. I trained for a year in the gym, um, pretty much solid. And unfortunately, it's kind of weird because what, what we do, you know, you do, you do I do, and when you're training in multiple disciplines, is people don't really take you seriously in a discipline. Yeah. And like, you know, and because you do different disciplines, you go, well, you know, you're not a, a judo guy because you do a lot of other stuff. You know, they used to call me the ninja at the Edinburgh Club. <laughs> and I was training there all the time. And it took me about five years before um, I was taken seriously because I was unlocking, unlocking Olympic champion, you know. So, so I mean, I got unlocked by them as well, but I mean, it's a yeah. Olympic champion. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 um, uh, so, but even then they go, ah, but you're still a ninja. <laughs> it's the same in boxing you know they call me the kickboxer they go oh he's the guy that does all that weird stuff all that other stuff and then I go but actually I fought for boxing twice I'm sparring pro boxers all the time I'm, I'm at two o'clock in the morning I'm throwing up because I've got headaches you know I'm coming here I'm, I'm the, they used to call me the night shift man at boxing I'd be the first one there and the last one to leave I need to go out and do a six mile run you know so I was training extremely hard there mm. uh, um, even in jiu-jitsu Ah, you're very strong, my friend. You're very strong. I go, oh, man. Yeah, okay, yeah. And it, and and it took, it's taken a long time to um, because I think there's. A, I'll be honest with you. There's always subtleties, and people are sort of proud of. How can I say this? I'm not really politically incorrect, but 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 people are kind of proud of your nation. So it, it's some some people think because you're not from that country of origin. And they are that they know it better than you, even if they don't. You know, yeah. And yeah. I, I, I think the 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 the, the country from the, the where the art originated, and um, and for me, um, I've I've felt that in boxing, what I needed to do was to be able to hold my own with a certain level of player. So I did that. So I've been sparring pros: Willie Prem, Sean Herring, John Wilson was another one who went to uh, went to the Commonwealth Games, the Olympics. So, I, I mean, I was never as good as them, but I could hold my own and they wanted me as a sparring partner. Yeah. That's great. I fought for my country and in and, and, and boxing. So I thought, you know, uh, that's, that's, I was really happy with that, you know, 
um, when it came to uh, Giro, um, when I trained with the full-time squad. Um, I could never hold my own in throwing. I mean, throwing, I was getting like, and I thought I was terrible. I mean, I was like, man, I'm really bad. And my throwing isn't my best 40. But when it came to me going to normal black belts, I was fine. Like normal black belts. Because we're talking about guys who are going to Olympics and going to, yeah. and going to Europeans and are competing every second or third week. And then I didn't realize that. And I'm going, ah, okay. So I'm actually not that bad. You know, yeah. like groundwork, I could do pretty much well against most of the guys there, you know, eventually, you know. Um, um, so I could kind of gauge where I was there. So going into that arena, and then you're basically, when you go into that singular arena, you're taking away everything else that you do, stripping it back and working within that context. The same in jiu-jitsu, you know, the jiu-jitsu kind of obviously merge more from the um, from the judo. But that, that because you'd always go, oh, you're a good judo guy. I got that. Even even in Machado, some guys have trained me in Machado's. And they, they've... I've been in America, my black belt in Jiu-Jitsu, and go, oh, there's a Jiu-Jitsu guy. <laughs> with that thing, you know. And yeah. somebody came me last year, actually, and I thought, actually, I'm a five times world champion in Jiu-Jitsu in the Masters. You know, I've won it as, I've won it as a, a purple-brown, three times as a black, no gi, no gi. You know, so I think I'm actually, I think I know a little bit about Jiu-Jitsu. No, nowhere near Mauricio Gomez, like, they're, they're not that level, but I think, <laughs> I think I could call myself a Jiu-Jitsu black belt now, you know? Yeah. And, um, um, so, so, you know, I've always looked to try and get to black belt level in each discipline to be a good black belt. And the same in Thai boxing, when I trained with Toddy, Master Toddy, um, you know, that's a great experience. And I learned a lot from him about how to teach and how to approach teaching and also how we encourage people he was Toddy was always very very encouraging oh you're a good boy you kick hard you're a good boy and then he would teach me about how we teach because how you teach how you teach and I was watching him teaching someone else how to teach because when you get your instructor or it used to be when you got your instructorship from Toddy it wasn't just on what you could do physically yeah he'd also make you teach someone and watch you teach someone so you'd go how are you going to teach them how we hit the bag? And I'd go, okay, I'd go, I'd stand in front, he'd hit the bag, and then I would do it because no, you've got to stand behind. Tell them from behind and the front and the side because you don't know how they're going to see. And, and he was saying in his own way, you don't know if they're a visual learner, auditory mm. learner, or kinesthetic learner, the three ways you learn, right? So you learn through vision, you learn through uh, touch, or you you, uh, you learn through what somebody's telling you. It might be a combination of three, but most people lean toward one or the other. I'm more tactile, yeah. you know, uh, I like to feel it, but he was saying that. So he taught me a lot about the art, about how to teach the art too. So just, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going on a bit, but the, the idea for me was always that, you know, you get to black belt level in whatever discipline you're doing, forget everything else you've learned. When I do judo, I'm doing judo, I'm not doing, I'm not trying to trap them, I'm not trying to box them, I'm not trying to, oh, I could kickbox them. I'm taking judo, the art for what it is, which is a beautiful art. And uh, um, the same with the karate, you know, whatever, you can rip the cat apart and go, um, oh yeah, but this wouldn't work here or that wouldn't work there if you did this or did that, or you can rip the whatever apart. But if you go, this is what it's for, as far as I know, and I can use it for this, this is going to enhance my development, you know, 
multiple attackers, it might be whatever, but it can enhance my development. So I look at that and then when I come out of it, then I'll take the JKD approach to each individual art and then I'll rip it apart. And then I'll take judo and I'll go, it's great for this, but it's terrible for this. Yeah. Or jiu-jitsu, it's great for this, it's terrible for this. Uh, the Kali is hard to take apart because it's such a, it's such a, un, for me, unique art or even a JKD, you know, when people, I look at people doing JKD and I go, you know, and I go, really? You know, but that, but I'll look at it individually and then look at it as a totality. And that's yeah. always been the kind of way that I've done it, you know, do it individually, uh, uh, and, you know, and then integrate it into, into what you isolate and then into integrate hmm. your, your, your full martial arts spectrum, you know? Yeah. What, what, um, obviously within the karate podcast, I'm going to ask about karate. What, um, what did you feel you gained from, you know, involving karate in your development as a martial artist? I think, um, I gained discipline, focus, discipline. I really like the idea of, um, having, having a, a system that is, that I can go into, you know, and have a reason for doing what we're doing. The Hamish would go, this is our kihon, this is our, you know, this is our basics. And then we're going to go to the competition side. And, would, and Hamish was, um, uh, Sensei Adams, he was, he was, I think he was fifth in the world in 1975 at Long Beach. He had 16 fights in two days. He was totally banged up when he came back. And as you know, that was, that was also, that was multi-styles. That was also. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he was an amazing fight. His timing was insane. His timing was like, ba-dam, ba-dam, ba-dam. It was so good. His combinations were amazing. So um, he, um, he really taught me about, you know, the discipline, about the discipline of doing my basics, which were really important. And I used to do my cat. And my mom used to drive my mom crazy because... I'd have to push the city away from the wall and do my cat behind the <laughs> behind the city, you know. And I loved it. I loved doing cat, and I liked that feel of connection. It always gave me a feel of connection to the art, you know. Um, and I like doing my two man sets uh, there. So it gave me focus. It gave me discipline, and I could always see that I have to go for my next my next belt. Um, it gave me. Um, coordination is one of the things especially Hamish sparring Hamish his interplay between his legs and his hands was so he was working on like quarter beat timing you know I mean if not maybe not eight feet but, but he was working on quarter beat timing and yeah. I was like, man, it wasn't until later I really understood when his mawashi gear would go in that hand was already as it was just coming back his hand was already in my head and he was coming back I was like man and it wasn't until later that I, I couldn't really under, understand the um explain it in that way but that's what he was doing so yeah. he was an absolutely amazing fighter uh fighter and karate coach so he he would break it down for me and then we would have a guy on a sunday at hamish's hamish number taught on a sunday afternoon it's two to four session and that was more kata and more breaking down the basics so you say well this is for a grab this is for this and i thought it was a block and he could not it's not a block it's an attack it's this it's that and that really helped me understand the kata more. And this is before, you know, it's really more, say, I shouldn't say recently, but it's more re where people have been kind of 
going into more the the bunkai, the, the, yeah. the you know the understanding of kata, you know. Yeah. So um, and this was like this is 1976, you know. So it, it wasn't. It was more more a lot of people then would go do this, just do it. Yeah. He was actually breaking it down for me. I go, ah, okay, this is really cool. So um, it really made it start to make a bit more sense, especially as you're a kid and I want to be a fighter. Yeah. It made more sense, and I really enjoyed the cat. You know, I really enjoyed uh, that that side of it, um, and I felt it gave me discipline and understanding, like the Silam Dao and Bun Chan. If you if you just do it for, if you just go through it. You know, it's like I had a, a, a girlfriend. Uh, we came from quite a rough part of town, you know. And uh, when she saw me do the kickboxing, she'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. she seen me do the grappling. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then she saw me doing Sri Lamdao. And she'd go, I've got no idea what that is. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah. And she's from a part of town where, you know, if the TV's not thrown through the pub window on a Saturday night, it's not a Saturday night, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and she's yeah. she, she I just don't get that. I don't understand that, you know? So, uh, so, but if you get into it and you understand it, then fine. That's if you want to be a martial artist. Same with karate, I think, you know, I'm not going to tell you because obviously you're far more advanced than me, but, but I think, but I think you can get into it just to understand it on a very shallow level. And just get a bit of fitness and get a little bit of punch and kick and whatever and then and, and anything you do or you can get into it much deeper and go okay i'm going to go into this and because i don't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't work and i've always said that about myself i mean yeah. lots of things i don't understand i couldn't make work it doesn't mean it doesn't work it just means you know that that i don't really i'm not able to functionalize this and also it depends on your time whether you want to spend a lot of time on a certain thing for, a, uh, for some kids, you know, if they're 16, they want to fight, they want to be in the UFC or something, they're not going to spend time doing uh, Basai Dai. You know, yeah. they're, not, they're not going to want to do that. You know? But if you, you, you've got a reason to do it and then you can look into it, you'll find something. There's always a reason for something being there. Yeah. There's always a reason. It's like Guru Dan said something. I'm, I'm kind of going off the credits, but, but Guru Dan said something one time. We were talking. I was talking to my students and I said, you know, double stick. I said, double stick. I said, it's not like we carry around double sticks. We don't carry them around. So when we go, when we do all our stuff, we are, um, you know, it's more for the empty hand and maybe you'll get a, a, a weapon in the street. Maybe something will happen, you'll come out. And then it was about a week later, I went to LA and I'm talking to Gurdan. Gurdan, so you know what they do the double stick? He goes, you know how we have a backpack? And I'm, yeah, as well, because, you know, they used to go around with the sticks here and the pack would be on the back. So they'd be walking through the villages and if it kicked off, they'd pull it out and it'd be going, and I'm going, oh man, no way. You know, and I thought, that makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> total sense. Why you would do that then? And um, I was like, man, that makes sense. So my ignorance and my understanding of the history of what I was actually teaching resulted in me giving a wrong, um, uh, you know, a wrong explanation for why we do a certain thing, you know? Mm. And, you know, I'd take myself some credit. I'm, you can only work with what you've got, but that was that. But the karate gave me an, a, a really great understanding of coordination, discipline, focus, all of the things that it's supposed to be. I was very privileged to train with Sensei Hamish Adam and, and uh, there, you know, and, uh, and he was always open with me, always gave me encouragement, you know, so he was, he was yeah, yeah, just, just amazing, yeah. yeah. So I really loved it. I loved it there, yeah. 